C.S. Lewis, he's an author and theologian, just an incredible, incredible mind. He was at a comparative religions conference at one time. And as he was there, they were talking about what religions have in common. And it came to Christianity. And they started to talk about the uniqueness of Christianity. What separates Christianity from all other religions? And these incredible minds are debating back and forth. What is it? What makes Christianity unique? C.S. Lewis walks into the room and he said, guys, it's easy. What makes Christianity unique is grace. You see, when Paul was writing to the Ephesian church over 2,000 years ago, we get to chapter 2 and he starts talking about the uniqueness of grace. What makes Christianity stand out above all other religions, all other ideologies, all other philosophies is what God has done for us in Christ. And we want to show you creative ways in which we can accept grace today and what it looks like in a real way. So one of the ways we're going to do that is I want to share with you, I don't know if my clickers work, there we go. I want to share with you an incredible song by my friend David Bunce. David actually goes to our church and David is an engineer by day, but his passion is hip hop music. He is known as intellect and he raps theology. Now, I'm not the biggest hip hop fan in the world, but I'm familiar with it. And I listen to some different hip hop artists. And then when I listen to what David does, every time I hear a song, I'm like, how is this guy at our church? He is that gifted and, and just an incredible artist. And so what we're going to do is we're going to hear a song that he wrote based upon Ephesians 2. In fact, I asked him a few months ago when we were getting ready for this Ephesians project, hey, would you write music for all of Ephesians and share that with our church family? And that's exactly what he did. And so today you're going to get a taste of what intellect can do. If you're not a hip-hop fan, that's okay. There are a lot of people that are. A lot of people that don't go to this church. A lot of people that listen to hip-hop on Spotify and Pandora and what they don't know is they're looking for Jesus and what if it's intellect's music and other Christian hip-hop artists that can reach them. I believe it can. And I believe that's what David's mission is. And we get to have him at our church. So take a listen. Describes the nature of all mankind, blind leading the blind. 
find our fates were intertwined but we didn't know that grace was a part of the design and now i got grace on my mind yeah. it's so hard to define and measure we never deserve this treasure that god freely gives to those dying to live now we're his because he was willing to die to forgive yes his grace is on my mind How incredible is that? He's probably not going to like that I'm doing this, but David's here. David, why don't you stand up for us? He's standing right there. What do we say to David? Just thanking him for that music. I have been asking David for years, and he can attest this, if I can be on an album with him, and he has not asked me one time. I mean, I've tried every which way, and so I'm putting that out there, hopefully in years that. But this music is available for you starting today. In fact, you can text the word music to that phone number on the screen. You'll get a link. It will let you just listen to his music. I know we've already up to at least two or three songs now. He's going to continue to release music in October all the way through November. And again, this is music that coincides with the book of Ephesians. And so when you're listening to his music, you are learning about Scripture. And that is just so Incredible. So we're just so grateful for the gift that David and Crystal are to our church. Now, I want to talk about grace, but grace means nothing if we don't understand why we need it. If you're here today and you hear about Jesus, you're like, okay, that's good. But if you don't understand why grace matters and why grace can change everything, then it doesn't matter. Paul tells us why we need this grace. He begins in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, with these four words, once you were dead. Now that's interesting because the last time I checked, I'm alive. I think you are too. You may be sleeping and that's fine, but at least you are breathing. Your heart is beating. You are alive. So how can Paul say we were dead? He's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. He's talking about our relationship with God. He says, look, there's no relationship with God. It's a graveyard inside of you that you can't be a good person or you can't just do amazing things and try to impress God. You can't tip the scales in your favor. You can't just be a spiritual person and define religion and spirituality the way that you want. Paul says that can't happen because we don't have a heartbeat when it comes to our relationship with God. Now, I know that goes counter to our culture. If you're a skeptic, you can say, yeah, but I can just make it up as I go. Religion is kind of what I want to believe and what's special to me, and I can say that's true for you, but if you want to see what exactly Scripture has to say and what the ultimate truth that God has for us, it's possible that you and I don't have a heartbeat when it comes to our relationship with God. And you may say, why? Why not? How is that even possible? Well, Paul tells us in verses 1 through 3, he says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, 
You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. He says, look, we're not alive because of all of these things that we have done. We are the ones that have lived in disobedience to God, meaning we just have rejected God. We don't want to have anything to do with God. We're the ones that followed our passionate desires and inclinations. We are the one that has followed the devil. We're the ones that just do what the world says. We're the ones that way. And therefore, because God is perfect and we are not, we are spiritually dead. There's no heartbeat. Now, if you're a skeptic here and you're just trying to figure out this God thing, let me speak to you for a moment. Because if you're here, you may be thinking, so what? If I can't live life my way, and I have to obey God's way all the time, I don't want to have a relationship with God. And I understand that. On the surface of our lives, 10 out of 10 times if I'm asking you, what do you want to obey, your way or God's way, 10 out of 10 times I'm going to go my way. Because that's just the kind of person that I am. It's the kind of person that you are. We are all selfish. We're all bent inward when it comes to our spiritual life. But that's the problem. You see, we live our life on the surface. We just go from day to day, and we're not paying attention to what's deep within our hearts, what's really going on deep within us. For if we did, and we really paid attention, we would realize how restless we are. How when we truly follow our own passions, our own desires, when we want to live life apart from God, we think we're getting somewhere. But when you really look at the depths of your heart, we realize we're getting nowhere. It's this empty maze of life where we're just trying to find a way out and we hit a dead end everywhere we go. And this restlessness in our soul, it's a sign that we were created for God and yet we're just not there yet. I love what Thomas Merton and Philip Yancey say. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Vanishing Grace and Philip Yancey quotes Merton here at the beginning and then gives some commentary to it. Thomas Merton writes, spiritual dryness is one of the most acute experiences of longing we can have. Philip Yancey said, what are the symptoms? Well, it's a restless search. Think about that for a moment. Think about your life when you really plug in and you're really looking deep within how restless our life really is and how we're trying to find it in pleasure. Or then when we think about death, I did a funeral yesterday, some people were just so scared to die. That's a sign. Boredom, addiction, that's our culture right now. Any of these can betray a longing that is at root spiritually, the cries and whispers of someone who has lost the way. A great synonym to spiritual death is being spiritually lost. We recognize that we go from thing to thing and person to person and opportunity from opportunity, trying to find peace trying to find worth, trying to find hope, trying to find wholeness. And we don't find it. That shouldn't discourage us, whether that should wake us up to the fact that we weren't created to do that. We were created for God. So that's why we're back to square one. If it's true that maybe we're spiritually dead or lost, and if it's true we just can't be good enough or try hard enough 
or be spiritual enough to get to God. And if it's true that we live this life in this maze and we go back and forth this way and that way, hoping to find our way out and it hits dead end after dead end, the question is, is there a way out? How do we get home? Home to be with the Lord. That's what grace does. Grace is God bringing us home. Look what Jesus does for us. I love that Paul says, you have all of these things and these disqualify you from a relationship with God. You're lost because of it, but God. But God. God's not gonna give up on you. God wants to pursue you. God wants to show his love for you. And he shows it in this way. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by there it is God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of this incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And then two verses that were the very first verses that I ever memorized as a Christ follower when I was 17 years old. Read them out loud with me. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Grace is God's love. Grace is God's kindness. Grace is Jesus coming to us and living a perfect life, and dying for us, and being raised from the dead, so that what's dead inside of us can become alive. He has given us life, both here and for eternity. That is grace. And that's what God wants to offer us. Even though we've stiff-armed God, even though we've created this life, or we are the ones that are lost, God wants to free us and bring us home. Now, grace is hard to describe. I wish I could give you a thorough explanation, but it's so deep, so incomprehensible that it's truly unfathomable how good it is. I love this line from Intellect's song that we just heard. It's so hard to define and measure. We never deserve this treasure that God freely gives to those dying to live. How did I do, David? Am I on the next album? Thank you. <laughs> we can't measure it, and we don't deserve it, but God freely gives it. See, the the word grace in the Bible, in the New Testament, is the word charis, which means God's favor. It's a gift or a blessing brought to humankind by Jesus. He's given us a gift of wholeness, of life, of salvation. All we have to do, just like when someone gives us a gift, all you have to do is what? Take it. We can't earn it. It's like if someone gave you a gift and said, let me pay you back for that. No, it's a gift. It's the same thing with God. He's gifted us Jesus, and all we have to do is take it and live in it and live for him. That's the greatest response we can have with this gift. Max Lucado, he puts it this way. Grace is God's best idea, his decision to ravage a people by love, to rescue passionately, and to restore justly. What rivals it? Of all the wondrous works, grace, in my estimation, is the magnum opus. Grace changes our lives. One of my favorite stories of grace is found in Luke chapter 15. It's a familiar story to you and I. It's the story of the prodigal son. The son goes up to the father and says, I want my share of the inheritance. 
which usually you get when someone dies. But he didn't care about the father. All he wanted was what the father can give him. Took the money, essentially spitting in his face, and walked away from his father. Took all of this money that the father graciously gave him, and he wasted it, squandered it, gone. He was so desperate because he had nothing left, he found himself in a pig pen in the mud. He was so hungry that he went to hopefully eat the pods that the pigs ate. And it was in this rock-bottom state that he realizes, I have it better at home, but I know I can't go home because I spit in my father's face. I'll go home and be his servant. And so as he's thinking about this plan to tell his dad why he deserves to be his servant, as he's walking in the distance, he sees a man running. In that day, men didn't run. They were too dignified to do that, but there was this man running. And as he got closer, he realized it was his dad. And his dad wrapped his arms around him, and as this son is trying to explain why he should be hopefully a servant to him, he said, no, you're my son. You will always be my son. Welcome home. It's my favorite story in scripture. There's a story that illustrates that. It's a live version of that. And I want to bring you that today. So let's bring up my friend Alex Dresser. Alex, come on up. Would you give him a round of applause here? I've known Alex for, I think, 10, yeah, 12 years now. He started coming to the chapel in 2015, and I was doing high school ministry at that time, and we just really hit it off, and when we were talking about grace and how do we illustrate this and, and really want to explain what it is, I said, Alex, would you please share your story? And he said he would. So Alex, you started coming around freshman year in high school. Take me through your high school experience with Jesus. So um, me and my mother started coming here, like Eric said, right when I was about like 15, and uh, i got pretty involved in the church, and it was my second home. I was going on the retreats and showing up to youth group every weekend and going, going to uh, all the missions trips and everything, and it was, it was a blast, and I loved it, and I was still a high schooler. Maybe, you know, maybe you didn't always make the best decisions throughout the week, but at the end of the week, I, I had a home to come to, and, and God was a part of my life. I remember the day that you said yes to following Jesus. We're in the Gilcrest house, and we had this great Bible study, and started talking about grace, and you're like, man, I, I want to I have that in my life, and so you said yes to Jesus, and I remember just watching your faith take off, and I was so excited for you to take that into college, but that didn't happen, did it? No, not exactly. <laughs> I went to college, uh, just like most people do when they graduate high school, and instead of being uh, studious and going to my classes, I did the other thing that people do when they go to college, and <laughs> I decided that I was going to party and drink a lot, and I started doing drugs and, and stopped going to my classes, and I was basically failing out, and I realized that I was, I was very unhappy with myself and depressed with the situation I'd put myself in, and I had started to become suicidal, so I decided uh, I needed to move back home because the environment there that I was in was obviously not good for me. So I went back home to my mom's place, <laughs> and... Uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with life, kind of had a spell, didn't know what to do, and I ended up going down to Chillicothe. They have a recording school down there, so I got my audio certifications, which is why they let me touch the buttons here sometimes. <laughs> yep. And uh, after I got that certification, I moved back home with my mom again, and um, I was like, where do I go? And I get, there were some opportunities in Columbus uh, for audio, and I went down, and I ended up not getting those positions, 
but I did find a really good job that I ended up in, and I was making great money. Well, uh, living by myself in Columbus, I slowly started to go back towards the lifestyle of just drinking and doing drugs constantly, and all the money I was making, I ended up having none at the end of the week because I would immediately blow it on on going out and partying, and I eventually went from just drinking and doing drugs to selling drugs, and I ended up in a crowd that definitely didn't have my best interests in mind, and I found that now in my life when I had almost everything that people could think that they would ask for, I was more empty than I had ever felt. Mm. I felt so empty to the point that I was very regularly thinking about taking my life. And to try to kind of numb that up, I started doing more drugs and drinking more, which made everything way, way worse. Mm. Surprise. And mm-hmm. I uh, ended up, basically, I moved back in with my mom again because I, I knew if I stayed in Columbus, there w- I was going to take my life. So she's super pumped about that part, fourth time. And um, <laughs> All moms love that. Yeah, I'm right? 35. My mom would welcome me in tomorrow. So, so I uh, got back home and decided, you know, I got I to gotta start taking care of myself and get my life together and really be a man, pull myself up by the bootstraps. And so I started doing that. I got my substances under control, and I got a job. I got a second job. Moved into a pretty nice house with one of my close friends. And I was like, man, we pretty much made it. You know, we're doing, we're doing great now. It's got everything going, patting myself on the back. And I still felt that little hole in my heart. Like there's definitely something missing because I just wasn't satisfied. I ended up meeting a girl that I went to high school with and we just hit it off right away. Mm. So I was like, hmm, there it is done. Yeah. That was a final piece. And uh, what I thought we had this amazing relationship. Uh, in reality, I guess there were some problems that we didn't talk about. And over the course of a, probably like three months, uh, virtually my entire life fell apart again. Mm. She left. She didn't actually ever really end up telling me why, which is a lot considering we were talking about marriage and moving yeah. in together. Yeah. And uh, the lockdowns hit. I lost both of my jobs. Mm. I had to move out of the place I was living, back in with my mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And um, at this point, I was like, well, I had all the things that I thought would make you happy in life, and they're just gone in the blink of an eye. So, I mean, there's, there's no point. I was done. Mm. And I decided, you know what, I'm gonna, I am going to take my life. I, I can't keep doing this. And I went outside. I had my handgun, and it was ironically very muddy that night. Mm. And I remember just dropping down to my knees in the mud, and crying out for hours, asking God, if what I knew about you is real, I need it to be real right now, Mm. or else I'm not going to see the light of day tomorrow. Mm. So I cried for hours, and I said, God, I absolutely need you and only you. If you're God, you can fix this. Mm. And I felt a feeling that is not one that I can really easily describe, but it was going from wanting to take my life to feeling an indescribable peace mm. and feeling a hand on my shoulder and feeling that there was somebody there saying, I know you thought that I was gone and I followed you down into that hole. And I was there with you every single second 
And the moment that you decide to look back to me, that's when I felt God's presence truly enter my life. And mm -hmm. I knew, I knew that at that point I was, I was truly saved. Wow. There's people here who feel the way you feel right now. They've tried everything. They feel hopeless. They have kids or grandkids that feel that same way. What would you tell someone based upon your experience about God's grace and that even though you stiff-armed him, stiff him for 10 years, that moment you cried out, he was there. What hope would you give to somebody who's struggling with some of those things? I'd say it's, it's always a hard question because there's so many different circumstances that everyone finds themselves in life. Yep. I think for me, the one thing other than the fact that Jesus is real that saved me was I had about a million people praying for me the whole time, mm. especially my mom. Mm. She definitely wouldn't have let me back in <laughs> if she wasn't praying for me. And really just being able to know that once I decided that I needed him and that I needed his grace and what he was willing to give me, he, start, he starts talking to you and you start hearing his voice in your life and mm. And he says, okay, time to take the next step, and I'm still right here, and I'm not going anywhere ever. Mm. You know, the end of this, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> At the end of this passage we're going through is Ephesians 2.10, and it says this. For we, we can put that on the screen, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I think of God's masterpiece, I think of him being an artist, and then I look at my life and I think, man, God must be a really poor artist. Because my life is not a masterpiece. Like, he has taken these fragments of just badness and put it together by his grace and wants to use it. And I think, okay, now that's a beautiful art piece. You're a beautiful art piece. You still struggle, I still struggle, we all still struggle. But it's in those struggles that God will use you, combined with his grace, to go out and do things for him that he planned long ago. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be faithful and open because his grace. And here you are sitting up here. He's one of our tech leads at Sandusky now. You're growing. You're inspiring people. You are God's masterpiece, and you're doing what he's created you to do, and we all can do that as well. So as we close our time, I just want to challenge you with two things to take just the next step. First of all, if you don't know God's grace, man, I hope today you'll realize that either the prodigal son or Alex or myself, like our stories are only possible because how gracious God really is. And if you've never accepted Jesus before or you've stiff-armed Jesus like Alex has, it's been 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, God's been with you every step of the way. Just turn to him just like Alex did. And if you're new to the chapel, we want to get to know you. So attend our meet and greet after the service. I'll be out there. Some of our staff will be out there just to tell you about the chapel. We're not here to sell you on if this should be your church, but let me tell you, we believe that the chapel is a grace place, that all of us come in here broken, that we're a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And we want you to get to know that. So as we close our service, we, we do this Every week when we look at Ephesians, we want to read Ephesians 3.20 together, and I think Alex should lead us in that. So why don't you stand up with us, and Alex is going to say this verse out loud, and would you read it with him as well? Now, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, 
to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Have a great Sunday.